This is Good Schools for All, a show from Voice of San Diego about how schools work and how they don't. I'm Will Hunsbury. Late last year, a Southern California school district kicked out a homeless student over a paperwork problem. Reporter Lisa Halverstadt got a tip and followed the story. So, Lisa, you got a tip that led you into this story. Tell me about that. So I was busy working on a number of other things, and I got this call um, from a high school student who told me that her younger sister had been unenrolled from school. And she quickly told me that her family was homeless. This family is in a school district in the southernmost part of San Diego. It's the San Isidro School District, which is right next to the U.S.-Mexico border. This district has a really high homelessness rate, the highest concentration of homeless students in the entire region. In some years, as many as a third of students have been counted homeless. And that, you know, there was an issue related to that that led her to be unenrolled. One student in her family got caught off guard by school bureaucracy. The student was a sixth grade girl, and she was essentially forced out of school because of paperwork. Her mom got a call at work. And this really caught my attention right away, too, because she said that they were in the San Isidro School District. And the San Isidro School District has the largest concentration of homeless students in our region. And so they're serving a lot of students who are very vulnerable. And there's also this federal law, the McKinney-Vento Act, that dictates how school districts are supposed to serve and literally, you know, erect no barriers to education for homeless students. Right. And this high schooler was so impressive in that she literally was just citing um, pieces of this law and, you know, different requirements that she felt that the school district should have been following. And so I just knew that I had to start digging in and asking some questions about this. Start me where your story begins. Um, The mother received a call on a Friday, right? So it was actually on uh, Halloween. Um, The mother was at work um, at her retail job, and she uh, she got a call from the school saying that her daughter was about to be unenrolled. And obviously, she was pretty upset with that news and was questioning what was going on. And she was told that they had been trying to notify her to let her know that she needed to submit this paperwork. But the mother said she'd never gotten any calls or messages about this. And so she begged the school office, is there any way you can give me any extension to try to get this, um, get this information? And they gave her until noon the following day, which turned out to be very difficult because not only was the mother working until 10 o'clock that night, But she was also working the next day. And she tried to call South Bay Community Services, a social service agency agency that she'd been working with, and was unable to reach them to get this documentation that the school had said would be sufficient to to keep her daughter in school. And so she essentially went into the weekend hoping for the best. Right. Then the next week rolls around. So the sixth grader, 11 years old, goes to school. She's a little bit late, so she shows up at the school office. 
and she is told that she's not going to be able to attend classes and that she's been unenrolled from school. They called the mother to tell her what was going on and said, essentially, you've got to come pick up your daughter. She's unenrolled from school. So, you know, mom gets this call at work and she just said she just immediately started crying. She was just so upset, um, you know, by this news, questioning what she could do. The mom left work to pick up her younger daughter, who just found out she couldn't go to class anymore. They find out they need to speak to the district's homeless coordinator to get this all sorted out. But it turns out the coordinator's not there. She's not available. And so for days then, um, the 11-year-old is going with mom to work, uh, trying to kill time, um, worrying about if she's ever going to get to hang out with her school friends again. It was really, you know, troubling for the whole family. They eventually Uh, do get that meeting. The sixth grader and her older sister and their mom sat down with the homeless coordinator. This person said there are some new rules to follow for families like theirs. But uh, in this meeting uh, with the homeless liaison, the homeless liaison said that, you know, there was essentially this newer requirement um, where families that, um, you know, had uh, lacked some kind of permanent address um, would need to submit paperwork every 30 school days to verify their homelessness. And there was some implication that this was a new state requirement, in part due to the fact that the district is close to the border. And there's this history of families who live in Tijuana uh, trying to send their students to school in San Isidro. Um, And, you know, there was some pushback from the older daughter on this because the girl, the 11-year-old, was unenrolled when this process of verification or, you know, lack of paperwork, um, you know, had happened and the state or the the federal law, McKinney-Vento Act, just says that there should be no barriers whatsoever to a student having access to education. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine that filing paperwork can be borderline a nightmare for any person. And you you can imagine that for a homeless family, trying to file paperwork that verifies something is a much bigger hurdle than it is for other people. There's not necessarily an electricity bill you can bring. I mean, I, so I can imagine this can be like a huge problem. Well, and also the fact that, you know, I will say that the district said that they made a lot of efforts to try to get this information to the family, to let them know that there was additional documentation needed. And the letter initially went to a motel that the family had been staying in at the beginning of the school year when they enrolled. Now, if you're homeless or you know, you know, families that are homeless, uh, it's really common to be in a motel for a few days and then be in the car or right. be moving from place to place. So it's not you're as not if, I mean, it's, the point is you're there. homeless. You're not consistently staying there. And so there were also apparently, you know, a number of calls made to the mother. Um, she says she never got those. And the homeless liaison and the district, uh, you know, say that they uh, also had sent a letter home or tried to send a letter home with the 11-year-old. The 11-year-old, the older sister, and the mom say that they never saw this letter. And, you know, a key, a key feature of this federal law is that 
if there is an instance where someone might be unenrolled from school, there's supposed to be a process where that family can dispute this. And the district says that it really made a lot of, you know, deadline extensions to try to accommodate this family. Right. But didn't hear back and therefore, you know, in, in some rare occurrences, students will have to be unenrolled. This law that's at the center of Lisa's story here, and we've mentioned a few times, it's the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act, often just called McKinney-Vento. And a big thing in the law is barriers. That is, barriers between a homeless kid and school. Lisa talked to some experts about what was going on here. They said that, you know, if there are any questions about a student's eligibility to attend a school that that student should remain in school while those questions are being sorted out. And if there's a finding that a student is not eligible, then the parent or some representative for that student should have the ability to dispute that. And in this case, the way that it played out, you know, the mother says that she found out about this until it was essentially too late and she didn't have sort of a dispute procedure that was laid out before her that she could start doing. Right. She didn't feel like she had the chance to dispute it. And I'm guessing the older sister didn't feel like there was a chance to dispute it. It's just, you guys haven't done what we've been trying to ask you to do. And so now we're going to unenroll you from school. Yes. And the district says, you know, that it is fully compliant with McKinney-Vento and that it does make every effort and that there are these rare instances where they have trouble getting in touch with a family or, you know, nailing down certain information. In this case, though, they said they were verifying some students as much as every 30 days. It sounds like, is that standard practice among other school districts that you'd verify a student's homelessness as often as 30 days? That's not something that I've heard. And I did also check with the Sweetwater School District because, you know, they do serve the same area. Right. Um, it's also you know. South Bay next to the yes, border. Yes, exactly. And um, what they told me is that they only check once a year at the beginning of the school year when a family submits paperwork um, to say that they are essentially eligible for McKinney-Vento services. So this more regular checking system is not something that I'd heard of before. Um, I did learn during the reporting process that sometimes um, the State Department of Education would encourage districts to perhaps be checking more regularly. But really, that's more about making sure that the appropriate services are available for those families and that, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously it's not like homelessness just ends and begins at the beginning of the school year. Uh, families' housing situations can change. Their needs can change. Maybe they need some different types of transportation support um, or other services that they didn't need at the beginning of the school year. So what happened at the end of this meeting with the family and the homeless coordinator? So by the end of this meeting, um, there was a conclusion that if the family could secure an additional piece of paperwork from the San Diego County Health and Human Services Agency that verified that they were homeless um, or accessing services, then they could submit that and the 11-year-old could be enrolled in school again. Um, it did take a few days to go through that process. You know, the, the school had to take some steps to enroll the girl in school again. Um, and also, you know, it required that 
um, the mother and her daughter went to the County Health and Human Services Agency to go pick up this document. So it took a few days, um, but after Veterans Day, the family was able to return the girl to school. So how many days was she out of school, roughly? Five days. Five days out of school. And what is the family's reaction to to what happened to them and how she was out of school for those days? I mean, certainly they were really upset. They feel like it was her right to continue to go to school uh, during that time period and, you know, just reflect a lot on how difficult that was for her. And I mean, she was, you know, this is an 11 year old. She She was trying to be tough through this whole process, kind of make jokes about it. But I think we can all imagine that time in our lives and how central your friends are to you at that point in your life at school. Yeah. And that school is just your life. Sixth and so, grade is like all about your friends. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, she was questioning, would she ever get to hang out with her friends again? And and school was the place where she hangs out with her friends. It seems like this law was designed to do a couple of things, this federal law. And one of those things was make it easier for homeless students to be in school. Is that your read on this law? Oh, it's exactly the point of it was to make sure again, and I know I keep using this phrase, but, you know, really that there should be no barrier for these students who already have so many other barriers that keep them from education and success in life, Um, you know, may have, you know, different moves throughout a school year, you know, from the car to the motel or, you know, have issues in their families that traumatize them or, you know, a number of different issues that can keep them from being able to focus on and succeed in school. And so this law is meant to to ensure that the schools themselves are not creating any barriers. I asked Lisa why this school district decided to go this route, requiring the paperwork every 30 days. Did that count as a barrier? She said that was a frustrating part about the story. The school district wasn't very clear about why they put this requirement in place. After talking with Lisa, I wanted to hear from someone else who's an expert on this, on homeless kids, their education, their situation, and the barriers that can get in the way. Uh, yes, uh, we're here for Susie Terry. Okay, she's located upstairs if you go to your left. Uh-huh. Our producer Nate and I went to talk with a woman named Susie Terry. Susie works at the San Diego County Office of Education. She advises schools on how to deal with homeless students. So her job is dealing with situations like the one Lisa described. What is different about school and and the things that have to get done and how um, how a youth experiences school for a homeless student. Because I think a lot of us, you know, we just show up to school every day and everything's kind of a given in our lives. But I presume it's a lot different for homeless students. Right. I often think back to my own school experience and um, sort of acknowledge the things I never even thought about or never even worried about when I was in school. Uh, but for homeless families, a lot of times it's, There are barriers just to enrollment around um, having the proper documents, having a birth certificate, having school records, shot records. Those aren't always the types of things you have with you 
when you're not in a stable living situation. So that's one of the entitlements that families who are homeless have if the school recognizes or they report that they're um, unstably housed, they can be enrolled without any of that. Um, the trick is identifying those families so you know um, and making sure families know they can walk into a school and get enrolled even if they don't have everything they need. So um, that's just like at the very beginning. But right. there's it's difficult to get to and from school every day. Um, for these kids, a lot of times they are trying to get to school from further away than normal because they've had to move somewhere for shelter or because they're might, maybe their family could get some work someplace. Um, so they might be traveling longer distances. Um, oftentimes, depending on the situation that they're staying in, whether it's a hotel motel or a shelter or they're doubling up, you know, in other people's homes, it's oftentimes hard to get good rest, um, get enough sleep every day. Um, there's a good chance they're not getting enough to eat every day. And all of those things make it hard to learn, make it hard to sit in a classroom and pay attention and know what's going on without worrying about being hungry or if how long it's going to take you to get home or if anyone's going to be able to pick you up or where you're going to go. So um, just a lot of the of the daily kind of troubles that they have um, can make being in school hard. But on the other hand, a lot of students, school is like a refuge. Um, it's something consistent. They go to the same place every day. They can go where people know them and support them. There's, they're most likely going to get fed at school at least one meal every day, if not two, mm -hmm. if they're getting breakfast also. So um, school can really help kids maintain a sense of stability when everything else feels uncertain outside of school as well. Susie's familiar with the family and Lisa's story and what happened there. So I wanted to get her take on that. What does the law say that the school should have done? And was it a barrier they were putting up? So in that situation, it was interesting because that was around sort of um, the, the district wanting to verify the family's location and that they were homeless, which is tricky. Um, the, what I told Lisa is our, my advice or my guidance to districts is always like if a family's coming in and they're saying, this is the situation we're in and the district deems that that meets the definition of McKinney-Vento, that they should just take the family at their word, right. have them sign paperwork at the school and sort of leave it at that because, because you're... The law instructs districts not to create any policies or procedures that would create additional boundary, uh, sorry, additional barriers for a homeless family. So needing to um, make an appointment with somebody and go to a meeting in order to verify homelessness or needing to- Trying to show paperwork you don't have. Right. You don't have an electrical bill. Right, exactly. Those things are all- ways in which um, could be considered creating additional barriers for a homeless family. So it's really tricky when districts kind of get into that. Um, on the other hand, I know that San Ysidro in particular struggles a lot with the, um, the instance of families who don't really live in California 
but live across the border and are coming across every day so their kids can go to school in their district. At least that's what they've expressed to me as one of their big concerns. And so this is a way that they feel families are able to do that. Um, And that's a worry for them, which I completely understand. It's just tricky with how, especially in that particular situation, how... A student um, saying they're homeless and mm -hmm. not necessarily having the documentation they need. And are we going to... Does that mean they shouldn't be able to go to school? Right. And actually, um, what the law says about that is if a family shows up and they're saying that they're homeless and the school disagrees... They still have to enroll the student and start educating them while that dispute is settled. Um, Well, speaking of San Isidro, they, I think, were in the news quite a bit um, not so long ago because of the really high percentage of homeless students they have. The San Isidro School District declared a state of emergency tonight in hopes of getting help from Sacramento. That's but not the case. In fact, one in three school children living there is effectively homeless. 1,500 of them are homeless. And they could be in Can you talk about what is the issue there and why the percentage would be as large as it is? I'm not 100% sure why their percentage is as large as as it is in comparison to other school districts. And it's been as much like 30% or something, right? I think so, yeah. I've heard like up to a third of their students. Um, In general, homeless education experts say a good like benchmark would be 10% of your low-income students. So we, oh, I always use free and reduced price meal eligibility as a measure of low income. And so 10% of that is probably a good estimate of how many of your students are homeless. In San Diego County, there was, well, in California, there was an audit recently. You might have to tell us about it. So the California state did a homeless education audit. And what they found is, for the most part, school districts in California are under-identifying their homeless students. Most, they used kind of the 10% of low-income benchmark and found that most school districts in California are identifying like 5% or less. What they're saying their homeless population is is about 5% or less than their low-income student population. So in their estimate, we're under-identifying in California. By as much as half. By about half, yeah. In San Diego... 10% of our low-income student population as a county would be about 26,000 students. The last few years, San Diego has um, reported, like when you put it all together for countywide numbers, we're reporting around 22,000. So I actually feel like we're probably doing not bad. To back up on those numbers real quick. For the school district we started this episode with, Susie's heard as much as one-third of students there are reported as homeless. And for the county it's in, San Diego County, the best number we have is 22,000 homeless students overall. That's 22,000 students reported homeless in this region at the corner of the United States. And across the country, there's that 10% figure Susie mentioned. 
If you look at the families eligible for free or cheaper meals, usually about 10% of those would be considered homeless. But that one-third in San Isidro, that's high no matter how you look at it. So San Isidro is obviously a district that butts up against the border of Mm -hmm. Mexico. As you said, it's low income. Um, Do do you think it's proximity to the border is potentially impacting how many families are homeless? Or also, can you talk about how homelessness is defined? Because that might not even be what people think. Right. Yeah. So let me tell you about that. The Department of Education uses a definition um, that's a little bit different than, say, the HUD definition of homelessness. So um, under McKinney-Vento, Anybody who lacks um, fixed, regular, or adequate nighttime housing meets the definition. So fixed fixed means someplace stable that's not on wheels like a car or not a tent that you would move around, but a fixed structure. Right. Um, regular refers to like you have the right to go there every single night. Right. My name is on a lease. That's what gives me like regular housing. Um, and then adequate is obviously like what you would normally think of around adequate housing. Like not running water. Right. Electricity, not overcrowded. Um, so included in that is families who are doubled up or sharing housing with another family or other families due to economic hardship or loss of housing. Um, that's the main difference between McKinney-Vento's definition and HUD's definition. And one of the things that we know about individuals who become homeless with their children is that they are much, much more likely to look for somebody, anybody, family member, relative, friend, to take them in with their kids so that they don't have to have their kids in a shelter, in a motel, or in a car. So it's a common living situation for a lot of the families that we see in schools. Do you think it's the majority of the homeless students that we count people who it is. Right. It is about it's about 75% of the f- students that get identified every year. Living with a family mm-hmm. or friends or yeah. something like that. And that 75% has been true for San Diego. Um every year that I've been doing the data and it's also true nationwide when they look at nationwide data. It's always about 75% of families that are doubled up. Susie put a fine point on exactly why this law, McKinney-Vento, and her work is so important. Why barriers have to be removed for students experiencing homelessness. School's their best shot for ending up in a stable home. So we know, I talk about it all the time, Education is a pathway out of homelessness. We know if we can get these kids to graduation, their chances are just that much better that they won't be homeless adults. Right. If we can get them into community college or career tech ed or a four-year university, um, then they're even less likely to be homeless adults. But there's this intersection between education and homelessness that's bi-directional. So students experiencing homelessness are less likely to graduate. And students that don't graduate are more likely to be homeless. So there's this really important Compounding, like, issues. Exactly. And we, in education, we sit in a really important place where we can have an impact on the future outcomes of so many of these kids if we can figure out, like, how to support them, how to get them all the way 
not just to graduation, but on a pathway that will take them even further. Well, my wife subscribed to your podcast because she I was telling her that I was doing this and then and she's a podcast addict. So she was like, oh, I've never heard of it. And she was looking through it and she goes, oh, I'm going to subscribe to this. They have some good topics. So I guess she'll find out when it comes out. This has been the last episode of Good Schools for All for the season. From the whole podcast team here at Voice of San Diego, thank you for listening. We're extremely proud of this new season, and we hope you've loved it as much as we have. To keep up with Voice of San Diego, you can follow our weekly podcast. There's a link for that in the show notes, or just search Voice of San Diego wherever you're listening to this. This year, we'll also roll out a podcast for the election. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow us on social media at Voice of San Diego. I'm Will Huntsbury. My co-host for the show is our CEO and editor-in-chief, Scott Lewis. The Voice of San Diego production team is Nate John, Megan Wood, and Adriana Heldiz. This season has been edited and mixed by Nate John. Nate is the invisible force behind this show, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard, it's because of the amazing care he put into producing it. Thank you, Nate. That's it for Good Schools for All. Thanks for listening, (laughs) y'all.